Now it's time to Wake Up Australia with Bill Woods. Very good morning to you. Thank you for being part of the program. Here we go on another Monday. We've been talking about a lot of things today. Your favourite Rocky film, that came up in the last hour. We uh, played a little bit of the Rocky theme because on this day in 1985, uh, Rocky IV was launched. Staff Christmas parties. Do you have any embarrassing stories about those or do you have any opinions on whether they should even exist? One three one eight seven three zero four six zero eight seven three eight seven three. We'll be talking shortly to Dan Gregory, uh, behavioural trends and strategy expert, about the failure to market the 2022 World Cup. I mean, the football has been great of itself on the pitch, if you just look at that part of it. But a lot of other stuff has been going on that has been considered a disaster for FIFA. And what does it mean for that brand? Uh, Dan Gregory will talk about that. Uh, A little later in the hour, Michael Packey will have his uh, wrap of the weekend in politics and have a look next week, as this week, I should say, as Parliament continues to sit. And our artist in the spotlight is Barry White. You are welcome to uh, suggest any songs you want to hear in the next five days from Barry. Uh, The obvious one will play on Friday, which is an instrumental. I'm sure you're very familiar with that one, but there are plenty of others to choose from, so we're happy to take suggestions on that. 131873 or 0460873873. Jen and the Fur Kids are saying big hello to you, Bill. It's Motorhome Jen, loving life in Port Ferry. It is so beautiful here. Uh, Thank you, gents. Nice to hear from you. I'm glad you're having a wonderful time, and thank you very much for listening in. Now, I was tucking into a very nice pizza on Saturday, and I couldn't help thinking and saying to my wife at the time, there is something a bit odd about me. I do like my pizza crust just a little bit burnt in places. It just adds a flavor to it that I really like. And I have to say, I'm like that with a lot of stuff. I'm pretty famous in my family for liking things a little bit burnt. In fact, since I was a kid, I think (laughs) I've been like that. I have no idea why. In 2017, the UK Food Standard Agency launched a campaign against the consumption of what they called darkened food, uh, telling diners to go for gold in terms of food colour instead. They're talking about toast and things like that, pizza crust, I guess. Uh, Rashmi Senior is a senior investigator at the United States National Cancer Institute who's done some research on this. He's focused on the dietary exposures and the biological mechanisms of cancer risk. Uh, Determining whether or not burnt food really poses a cancer risk, apparently, according to this research, is a lot more complicated than it seems. When foods that contain starch, such as bread, pizza crust, are heated to a high temperature at which they achieve a golden colour, a chemical called acrylamide is apparently released. This chemical is formed from the sugars in the food, reacting with an amino acid. And the more burnt the toast is, the more the chemical is formed. Acrylamide has been linked to cancer in lab animals. However, the amounts used in the studies were much higher than humans would typically consume. Well, I wonder if those humans were like me. Um, Heterosilic amines which they call HCAs, if you're just lounging around the laboratory, are released when you burn meats, poultry or fish. These are other kinds of things that are burnt, and I must admit I'm partial to the odd (laughs) burnt steak or burnt chicken. Not totally burnt, as in completely black and solidified. I mean just a little. You know what I'm saying? Lewis is looking at me here as if I'm really crazy. But anyway, uh, these apparently are carcinogens. They're Uh, polysilic aromatic hydrocarbons. They're a class of chemicals that occur normally in coal, crude oil and gasoline, and they result from burning coal, oil, gas, wood, garbage and tobacco even. Now, the HCAs and PAHs have been shown to contribute to cancer development in animals, including monkeys. But again, the jury's out on just how dangerous they are for us. They do say that consuming burnt starchy foods is probably harmful, but further studies are needed. So... Whether your preference falls on the lighter or darker end of the spectrum, probably the darker your toast is, the more risk there might well be. Uh, The USA National Human Genome Research Institute says your amount of cumulative exposure to the chemical from all sources is also a factor. So basically, is it relatively safe to occasionally eat burnt toast or a burnt pizza crust? Apparently... A piece or two, unlikely to cause cancer, but moderation is the key. Are you fond of burnt foods? 131873 
or 0460873873. I just can't help myself. But someone did say to me once when I was tucking into some toast I'd burnt, and I thought, oh, what the hell, I'll eat it anyway. Because uh, I like it nice and crunchy too. They said to me, you'll get cancer from that. I think they might have been a little bit over the top. But then again, I have been compared to a lab rat and a monkey uh, over the years. There's no doubt about that. Speaking of animals, interesting story from the UK. Uh, Emma Slade from Essex, we all know her. Uh, She heard some banging in the kitchen one night in her home. She assumed it was her daughter coming back after a night out. When she came downstairs the next morning, she found her entire kitchen trashed. The bins had been completely upended and all the contents strewn across the floor. Foul-smelling food waste, the lot. Flowers had been spread across the lounge from a vase that had been tipped over. Laundry was tossed all over the place. There was a big pile of excrement in the middle of the floor. And that is, you know, the absolute bottom end of, if you pardon the pun, vandalism, is it not? Apart from that, she said, there was no real damage (laughs) Well, nothing was actually broken, is what she was meaning, I think. Now, Emma was probably reluctant to blame her daughter. She thought it was the dog. Uh, Before she came upon the culprit sleeping on the kitchen bench, it was a fox. She reckons it snuck into the house when she let the dog out the night before. (laughs) See, we don't have that with foxes, do or do we? Let us know, 131873. If you've had an encounter with a fox like this, normally they run in the other direction. Uh, Her daughter's boyfriend was brought in. He plucked up the courage to pick up the fox and throw it out the door. Apparently that was done without any real problems. Uh, She posted a video of the surprise on social media. Friends told her to consider calling the RSPCA. But by then it was too late. The fox was long gone. Uh, There you go. Uh, A remarkable little story. Who would have thought that a fox would have the gumption They're very intelligent animals. They do some amazing things. If you ever read about foxes, there's some incredible stories about how they uh, evade human hunters and all those things and get into chook pens and whatever. But to get into a house and just do all that and then have the gumption to just sit there and go to sleep. (laughs) Fantastic Mr. Fox. Or maybe it was Mrs. Fox. Who knows? 14 past four, coming up to 15 past, uh, quarter past, in fact, uh, quarter three in Queensland. We'll be back after the break. Now, I think Mike's got me here. He sent me a text saying, come on, Bill, we know you love the Rocky movies. I heard a rumour you used to be seen sprinting along the beach, Apollo Creed style, complete with short shorts and muscle shirt. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Look, I have a confession to make. Um, You're pretty close. That's all true, except for the muscle bit. Now... (laughs) This, but thank you, Mike, uh, for assuming there was any muscle there underneath the shirt. Eddie says, I played my first Barry White 12-inch single as a DJ in 1980. It's ecstasy when you lay next to me. <laughs> yes, I think I've got that one at home too. Uh, saw him at a concert in the late 90s in Sydney at a time when he wasn't well. He was actually booed off stage. I think I remember that. I wasn't there, but I remember reading about it, Eddie, because you're right, he put on a lot of weight and he, he got quite ill, didn't he? He's had so many hits. Can't Get Enough of Your Love was a major hit. I think that's tomorrow, uh, Eddie, that we're playing that. You're My First, My Last, My Everything was a favourite amongst many others. Love's theme was the intro for Donnie Sutherland's TV music show back in the late 70s. Yeah, we're saving that for Friday, Eddie, uh, but we might have a look at You're My First, My Last, My Everything, if you like. Uh, I've got a few others picked out, but look, we're, we're negotiable on this. Anyway, thank you for the feedback. Uh, 1318730460873873. Uh, we've got calls, but we need to get to this next interview, so we'll do that right after this. The World Cup has certainly had its fair share of controversy way beyond the results of matches, but we knew that. Between the multi-million dollar contract breach with Budweiser, the human rights protests, some are calling this year's World Cup a catastrophe. So how has FIFA gotten it so wrong? Well, there's the obvious and there's the not so obvious. And Dan Gregory is a behavioural trends and strategy expert who joins us now. G'day, Dan. Hey, Bill. How are you? Well, thank you. And from the outset, we knew Qatar was an odd choice for FIFA and that the troubles would come. We all know it's highly suspicious. But what made them think they would get away with all this from a marketing perspective? 
Well, they've actually got precedent on this. I mean, they've made a few dodgy decisions. If you think about, you know, they gave the World Cup to Argentina in 1978 after a military coup. So it's not the first time they've they've given a games to um, to an authoritarian state. Now, I think you know what they're they're hoping for is that people become you know so wrapped up in in the uh, in, in the football itself that they forget about what's going on in the background. That's an interesting point because we all know the vast majority, and we're talking tens, maybe hundreds of millions of people here, are going to just see the match on the small screen. Yeah, absolutely. And look, that's prob- that's the way FIFA makes its money. Most of its money is made from selling the media rights. So as long as people are watching, you they really haven't got a great incentive to change their behaviour. Our Qatar's own team losing the first game. Other Gulf states not doing too badly, but how did all that impact the branding of the cup? Oh, look, I think it probably affects Qatar's brand, and in fact, I think this is this uh, the world the World Cup has very much affected Qatar's brand. I mean, I think they were sort of one of those those nations that flew under the radar, and a lot of people didn't really know much about them. But now they're sort of you know being held up as an example of misogyny, homophobia you know, modern day slavery. And, you know, I think that, that that will make people think, you know, more carefully about, you know, their associations with Qatar going forward. That's an interesting point you make there because, you know, a lot of idealists are still saying, oh, the football teams aren't doing enough. The players aren't doing enough. They said they'd do this. They've got no guts, kowtowing to FIFA and playing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But really, if you don't know about Qatar's human rights record by now, you've been living on Mars. So surely that is a massive negative, and, and therefore, for the people who wanted to bring this thing into disrepute, it's not a loss. Well, it's also incumbent on us as fans. You know, we could vote with our remotes. You know, we, we, you know, we can make that decision ourselves. How comfortable are we, mm. you know, with, with a country that's built infrastructure using modern-day slavery? You know, so the, the question is, do we have the courage of previous generations that have stood up to autocracy or are we feeling inconvenienced because our entertainment is being interrupted by other people's, you know, oppression? And that's the interesting thing about sport washing, because a lot of the fans are going to say, well, hang on a minute. It's not my team's or my players' fault that this is happening. I want to watch the game I love to watch. So why should I uh, um, deny myself that pleasure to make a stand that nobody really even knows about? Yeah, well, exactly right. I mean, our grandfather's generation gave up their teenage years you know, to fight oppression, you know, we're being asked to give up a little bit of TV time, you know, so maybe we don't quite have the spine or the or the moral fortitude that we think we do. Now, let's address the breach of contract with Budweiser. From a purely commercial point of view, this was a really interesting situation because that's a massive brand. They would have spent a massive amount of money on this. And then at the last minute, of course, there was an alcohol ban. Uh, that must be in your in your world of, of marketing and and uh, and business. That, that that is an extraordinary blunder. Oh, it's a huge blunder. And and look, I think the the ramifications on this sort of uh, probably halo over FIFA more than the World Cup in Qatar. I think, you know, that relationship that's been brokered between FIFA um, or rather between Budweiser and Qatar by FIFA, I think that's really problematic. And and I think that other sponsors might, you know, punish FIFA going forward. You know, you've got to think, well, what's, what's my commercial risk as sponsoring a World Cup now, particularly if they decide to run it somewhere where, you know, they don't quite have the same values as, as much of the Western world. Well, that brings us to an interesting point. What does FIFA do from here? We have a Women's World Cup in Australia, which is going to be, I'd imagine, an enormous success given our, our track record in that area. And uh, yep. that's going to be good for the game. But where else? What else? Well, I think, you know, it's it's kind of incumbent on the, the national football associations around the world to say, well, hang on, well, how do we, what do we want FIFA to look like going forward? And I think it's, it's, it's up to them to exert some pressure. You know, there's not a lot that the players can do now they're there. You know, this is the conversation that, that probably should have happened 12 years ago when Qatar was awarded the, the, uh, the World Cup. And we've had these conversations around the Olympics before in the past. I mean, Bill, you're mm. probably a similar age to me. You might remember the, you know, the boycott of the Moscow Games when we were kids. For sure. You know, and 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 the boycotts of South Africa during apartheid. You know, we've we've seen you know ways that people can exert you know political and and cultural pressure in terms of you know sporting and entertainment events. So I think you know it's it, the, the question is is how much 
blowback is FIFA going to get at the end of this at the end of these games? Particularly, for, you know, I mean, Australia has has a voice, but we're 25 million people. There's a lot of big, powerful nations that are footballing nations, particularly in in Western Europe that I think can bring a lot of pressure to bear and, and exert some change. But again, it, it comes down to, to people's appetite. You know, if, if FIFA looks at, the, um, at the, the media figures, you know, how many people have been watching the games? Was this a success? Did people care enough about slavery in, 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 in a part of the world where the World Cup is being held? Or do they not? You know, so it's kind of a... That's, that's the question. If, if, if we're unwilling to to take a stand and, and, and punish poor behaviour, then I think that, that FIFA is unlikely to change. However, having said that, I think if you have a look at, you know, we have a younger generation that's far more connected than they've ever been before. You know, the internet allows, allows them to have a greater voice than ever before. And when you have a look at similar situations in the commercial world, be it from sporting um, apparel manufacturers or even technology manufacturers, when there's a hint of slavery, there's typically some commercial blowback. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, exactly, you know, whether sport will live up to the same standards as the commercial world is currently being asked to. What did you make of Gianni Infantino's speech in the weekend before it all started and uh, the whataboutism in terms of the Western world and their misdemeanours over the years? Do you think that there's <laughs> there's any traction in that future argument for any authoritarian regime bidding for sport? I don't, look, I don't think so. Look, and, and here's the thing. You know, just because someone did something bad in the past doesn't mean that you should use that to justify doing something bad in the present. Mm. You know, at some point you have to draw a line. And, you know, the analogy I think is useful is let's, you know, because people say, well, should we really be dealing, you know, arguing about another person, another, another uh, nation's culture? And here's the thing. We, we need to not conflate ethnicity with culture. Like ethnicity is something you're born with. Culture is just a collection of ideas that a group of people buy into. And some ideas are good and some ideas are bad. Some ideas are better and some ideas are worse. And if you were at your next door neighbor's house and you saw them beat their wife because she was dressed inappropriately or beat their son because he was gay, or if you found out they had an illegal worker, you know, living in their house and they'd confiscated their passports so they couldn't leave, you know, would you turn a blind eye to that? You know, or would you have a moral imperative to take a stand and actually say, no, I need to change this? But of course, and they complicate of, that argument by, conflate, by, by uh, merging it with religion as well as culture, oh, which makes it a little bit more sensitive, doesn't it? Well, of course. But again, all religion is just culture. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's a belief system. And I and, think that... And within each religion, there is, there's a spectrum of, of behaviour and beliefs. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. But again, no religion in the world has more than 30% of the human population buying into it, which means the statistical probability of your religion being wrong is 70%. Now, that doesn't mean that you are wrong. It just means that you're playing against the numbers. Mm. And again, at some point, we need to say, well, okay, what's, what do we believe is right? What do we believe is wrong? And are we willing to take a stand? You know, one of the things that we enjoy in this country, Bill, is a freedom that most of the people in the world don't, don't get to enjoy. And we didn't earn this freedom. We didn't fight for it. It was handed down to us by previous generations. And maybe one of the responsibilities of having that freedom is to stand up for other people having those kind of freedoms and enjoying you know, that kind of standard of living as well. So is there a future in, uh, and I'm talking here from you know, business working together with sporting organisations, not just those sporting organisations or indeed governments, but is there a future in getting together and saying, well, we're going to hold sporting events and we're going to support sporting events and organisations based in the free world, the so-called free world, even though there are some who would argue that's not necessarily the case. But uh, is, that, is that worthwhile and could that be achieved? Look, I think one of the things that could be interesting is, is, is we know money talks. We know that you know, money changes the way people behave. Now, one of the problems with Qatar is they're making a whole lot of money out of the Western world and, and our addiction to fossil fuels. You know, they're not, they're not lacking for money. They're two and a half million people, you know, of which maybe 15% are local Qataris. But that's a very small population with a whole lot of money. So the money thing isn't an issue for them. But I think if you actually get some, you know, commercial entities, you know, people like the sporting brands who have the power to exert pressure on the people who, who they use to represent them. You know, a lot of sporting people make more money out of commercial sponsorships than they do out of their salaries for playing the game. Mm. So I think, I, I, I think you're right. It is a broader conversation. It's not just about 
the players protesting. It's not just about the uh, the national teams protesting. It's about saying, well, hang on, we've you know we talk about sport as being this incredibly um, honourable thing that we use as a as a metaphor for teamwork and leadership. And I think it's you know incumbent on 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 the fans as well, you know the the the, the general public as well as the commercial entities that support these these uh, sporting ventures to actually hold you know a, a particular um, a kind of you know hold us to values that that actually that actually make sense. Dan Gregory, thank you for your time. Thanks, Bill. Great to talk to you. And now on Wake Up Australia News today. Good morning, Emily Fagan. Good morning, Bill. Two major employer groups will launch an advertising blitz against the federal government's industrial relations bill expected to pass in Parliament. Independent Senator David Pocock agreed to the legislation after further concessions were made to protect small businesses which employ no more than 50 people. The Telegraph's reporting the Minerals Council and Business Council do not support multi-employer bargaining being forced on them. There'll be an immediate review of -of out-of-home care for children in New South Wales. It follows claims to board Boys were left too hungry and cold to go to school while their care provider raked in thousands of dollars a day for looking after them. A children's court magistrate has told the Herald it's appalling treatment and harmful indictment on the state's Department of Communities and Justice. And a group of teenagers is in police custody after a crime spree across Brisbane. Six boys, one as young as 12 years old, allegedly targeted cars and committed seven robberies before being arrested. And Bill will have more news in about 29 minutes. Thank you, Emily. Have a great day. Jordan Tunbridge from 3AW Newsroom. Good morning. Good morning to you, Bill. Making news in Melbourne, re-elected Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews acknowledges it would have not have been easy for the opposition leader, Matthew Guy, to concede defeat. Mr Guy has announced he's stepping down following the coalition's heavy election loss in Victoria. Victoria's mosquito plague is expected to get worse before it gets better, with authorities warning of a spike in mosquito-borne diseases. The Health Department monitors a network of traps across the state, and in the past month, numbers have risen dramatically. And the number of electric scooter injuries among Victorian riders has more than doubled in the past year. The Age is reporting 427 people have presented to hospitals with injuries after riding an e-scooter, up from 128 in the past year. Bill, that's what's making news in Melbourne. Thank you, Jordan. A soccer World Cup update. Go to resmed.com.au to awaken your best. 27-5, to 27-4 in Queensland and Croatia has just scored a third goal. And uh, I think it's uh, Kramanic has scored it. Yes, uh, so he scored two now in the 36th and 70th minute. And uh, they are 3-1 up against Canada, who scored the first goal of the match in only the second minute. 72 minutes gone, and uh, Canada really on the ropes. Croatia have dominated this game since uh, they went one down. So uh, you would have thought that normal transmission has been restored in this match. We thought we might be heading for yet another amazing World Cup upset. We've got some texts coming through here. We'll get to those in just a tick, but after the break, we're talking to Michael Packey. Well, we're entering the final week of federal parliament for the year, and Labor's expected to end that year with some significant wins. Workplace reforms will pass after reaching a deal with the independent Senator David Pocock and the new National Anti-Corruption Commission will also be legislated. The federal government will use this week to maximise pressure on Scott Morrison following revelations that he held secret portfolios while he was Prime Minister. Let's get more detail with our national political editor, Michael Packey. G'day, Michael. Bill. They've certainly got the inside running at the moment. Yeah, look, uh, they do uh, have the inside running at the moment. There's uh, no doubt about it. After six months in office, they've been able to chalk up a fair few uh, wins, whether you agree with those wins or not. The reality is they've gotten a lot of legislation over the line. Probably the early legislation that were managed to uh, get over the line was uh, that emissions reduction target of 43% by uh, 2030. Then you had last week uh, changes to tariffs for electric uh, vehicles. There's also the increased childcare subsidy. 
overseas, allowing pensioners to earn up to $4,000 extra in income. So a fair few policies they took to the election have now been uh, legislated. They've been made law. And uh, this week, they're just uh, dealing with the pointy end of uh, legislation that they want to get uh, ratified. Uh, obviously, uh, the big one is the IR laws, the industrial relations laws. Basically, we heard on Sunday that uh, Labor was able to get the support of the independent uh, David Pocock. He uh, negotiated a, a few concessions and was able to get that legislation over the line. Of course, business and the opposition say that the concessions that have been negotiated by David Pocock don't go far enough. He's just tinkering around the edges and that this legislation is uh, fundamentally flawed and will more than likely lead uh, to job losses. I think the thing is here, Bill, what we've got to see is that uh, essentially this legislation is going to get passed. You know, Senator Pocock is that 39th vote. He's a former Wallaby. He's giving Labor the uh, the try that they need uh, to get this legislation uh, over the line. But I think the proof's going to be in the pudding. And I think we're going to probably see a lot of this stuff uh, really evolve over the next six months to uh, the next year. So it's all well and good to get these wins now. But I think it's the outcome down the track that everyone will be watching. You know, so once this legislation does go through, you know, is it going to lead to uh, real wage increases or is it going to lead to, to uh, job losses? That's going to be the test for Labor. It's not going to happen overnight. It'll probably take a good six to 12 months for it to uh, wash through the system. Yeah, some of the people are saying that uh, it'll take some tweaking in about that time too, that uh, they'll have to tighten up something here, loosen it up there, mm. because obviously business sees the threat, the point you just made about job losses. It's interesting to hear some of the left-wing commentators, and I found this absolutely amusing. I choked on my lunch. Some of the left-wing commentators saying, well, if small business aren't paying their people enough money, let them go out of business and be gobbled up by a big business. I'm thinking, hang on a minute, That's, this is a left-wing biased person actually advocating for bigger business, I thought, wow, that's a yeah. turnaround. Um, an oh, interesting way of thinking. Oh, absolutely an interesting way of thinking. It's very silly, given that small businesses employ about 90% of workers. And you could argue at this point in time, when you've got a fairly low unemployment rate, uh, you've got already a lot of small businesses that are paying their workers even above the award. Uh, so, you know... Yeah, that, that's just a, a silly argument uh, that's uh, been made by uh, some people. Look, in terms of the concessions that David Pocock's been able to negotiate, essentially, if you're a business and that you employ fewer than 20 people, well, then you're not going to be affected by these uh, laws. It's really businesses that employ 20 people or more that might be affected or come into this multi-employer bargaining uh, regime. Uh, but, you know, the other thing he's been able to negotiate is uh, an extra hurdle that the unions have got to uh, uh, jump over before they can actually implement uh, a multi-employer bargaining uh, negotiation uh, to take uh, effect. Whether or not that's enough remains uh, to be seen. The other thing that I don't think has had much coverage in terms of the concessions that Pocock's negotiated, and I find it quite interesting, he is saying that after two years that there's got to be a review of this legislation. So that, you know, takes up to almost uh, the next election when uh, he's going to probably be pushing for a review into what has been legislated and to whether or not it's worked. You know, you know, have businesses put people off or have wages actually increased? And I thought that that element of uh, the negotiation has really been uh, swept under the carpet. But on the whole, businesses are saying it's still flawed legislation and that uh, it will more than likely lead to increased strike action and uh, potentially, you know, it may force some businesses to lay people or lay workers off. And it is coming at a time when inflation is still high, energy bills are still soaring. So the, the, the costs for business, uh, businesses are mounting. And so, you know, if some businesses start finding uh, the times challenging, especially over the next year, well, then, you know, this legislation could be counterproductive. They're calling it secure jobs and better pay. It could actually end up doing the opposite. The other big issue this week, legislation to establish the National Anti-Corruption Commission. It'll be voted on and likely passed. 
Oh, yeah, look, it will. Um, look, they were debating it last week. I think that uh, Labor, the, sorry, the Liberals had a few concerns uh, around it. But when push comes to shove, my understanding is that the opposition will back Labor's uh, legislation. So that'll essentially fly through. Uh, I don't think that the, I think that the coalition had no choice but to back this legislation, given that there was such a, a ferocious campaign uh, mounted on integrity issues in the lead up to the May election. And they lost, you know, a swag of seats in Sydney and uh, Melbourne predominantly, uh, you know, integrity was one of those issues and having an anti-corruption commission was one of those issues. So Peter Dutton has said in the past that the chances of the opposition not backing an anti-corruption commission were very low. And uh, it looks as though, you know, the Liberals and Labor, they've done a deal that'll get over the line. Scott Morrison could face a censure motion this week. What does that actually mean? Look, uh, that's going to be discussed today by the uh, Labor cabinet as to whether or not they censure the Prime Minister. What it means is it's essentially embarrassing Scott Morrison in the Parliament and the Parliament condemning what he's done, that is taking on these uh, extra portfolios while he was the Prime Minister and not and no one knowing about it. So essentially, it's a condemnation of Scott Morrison by the parliament. It's a bit of a tricky one for the opposition because there are a lot of Scott Morrison's colleagues, you know, Liberal and National Party colleagues, that absolutely deplore what he did. They absolutely, you know, are so angered by what he did and the ways he embarrassed the coalition uh, in general. So, but, you know, are they really going to support a censure motion against one of their own? So it does put the opposition in a bit of a tricky uh, position. My my guess is, is if Labor pursues this censure motion or this condemnation of Scott Morrison in the parliament, of course, they'll get, you know, the support of all the Labor MPs and they'll get the support of the Greens and probably some of the independence, but you can't assume that uh, the Liberal and National Party will uh, back that in. Uh, but, you know, it's just going to be, it's just embarrassing for Scott Morrison. It doesn't mean that he's, you know, he has to, you know, quit Parliament or quit his seat or anything like that. It's just basically the Parliament condemning what he's done. And uh, legislation likely to come in to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah, look, uh, Virginia Bell, the former High Court Justice, when she released her report on Friday, made six recommendations. Uh, and Labor says that they're going to likely support these six recommendations where there's going to be a lot more accountability and transparency over ministerial roles, which you would think already happens now, but apparently it doesn't, Bill. So what they want to do is they want to introduce legislation that uh, when someone's made a minister, it's recorded in black and white you know, who that minister is, what their responsibilities are, who they're answerable to, who the acting minister would be if they were to get sick, um, who is the um, assistant minister in a portfolio. They would basically put all of these sorts of things in black and white. And whenever there's a change, it would always have to be, you know, presented to the parliament. So what they're suggesting is that what Scott, Scott Morrison did by keeping these secret portfolios in Treasury, Finance, Home Affairs and Industry and not telling anyone about it, you know, it was a, it was, while he didn't do anything legally wrong, he didn't break any laws, the fact that he didn't tell anyone about what he was doing uh, eroded trust in government. That's what Justice Virginia Bell said. So to try and avoid that, they want to put legislation through, which I'm assuming will go through this week, and I'm assuming it'll be backed in by the opposition, um, to basically, uh, you know, make it very much clear who's in charge of what and what they're responsible for. Now, as predicted, Dan Andrews did lose ground in the Victorian election, but not as much as a lot of people thought. They'll have a majority for a third term. Mm. Uh, how could that impact the last bastion of uh, Liberal uh, National Party government in on the mainland? That is the New South Wales election next yeah. year. Well, there's no doubt that people like the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet would be looking at uh, that result and you know seeing how it could affect them. Look. It's interesting. I don't know if maybe the issues are different here in New South Wales than they are in um, Melbourne. Um, clearly, the opposition in Melbourne just could not bring up the fight to uh, the Andrews government, whereas I think in New South Wales, it's a bit tighter between um, Perrottet and his opposite number, Chris Minns. Um, you know, most people are predicting that Labor will win the election uh, in New South Wales come March uh, next year. Uh, but there's no doubt there's some food for thought there in terms 
terms of, you know, what does the coalition actually stand for? I mean, the funny thing about these results, both at a federal level and even at a Victorian state level, is that the National Party didn't really lose any of their seats. It's the Liberals that are having the problems, and mainly in their city seats. They don't seem to be able to hold on to the, that city flank of seats, because the National Party, the junior coalition partner, doesn't seem to have the same problems as uh, the Liberals do at, at a federal level and as they did uh, in Victoria. But look, I think it'll be a tighter race between Perrottet and uh, Chris Minns. Potentially, Chris Minns could get over the line, but I think it'll be a much tighter race. But I think on certain issues, definitely like climate change and that, I do think that the Liberals need to decide where it is that they do stand. And I think as a coalition, they've all got to reach a, a, a consensus position, not some people saying one thing and other people saying another. Mm. And another interesting week ahead in Canberra. We'll keep across that a little later in the week. Michael Packey, thank you. No problems. Good on you, Bill. Croatia 3, Canada 1. We're into stoppage time. There'll be six minutes of that, so it looks highly unlikely Canada can come back in this World Cup tie after taking the lead after only two minutes. A bunch of texts have come in. We will get to those, but after 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock in Queensland. And now on Wake Up Australia, Artist in the Spotlight. And this week it is the great Barry White, born Barry Eugene Carter. He took his mother's name because his mum and dad were not married. He later took his dad's name, Barry White. He had 20 successful albums and this was certainly one of his classic hits. Croatia actually scored a breakaway goal in stoppage time against Canada. The final score, 4-1. So that was a massive turnaround. They conceded the goal here after just two minutes, but Canada barely got a look in uh, at the Croatian goal after that. So just repeating, 4-1 to Croatia. Very important match uh, for their group at the World Cup. Croatia now... Uh, with that uh, victory, will move up a little bit in their table. Now, coming up in the next half hour, we'll be having a chat with Craig Gabriel to wrap up the Davis Cup final. We'll look at the headlines in the newspapers and your feedback. This is Wake Up Australia with Bill Woods. Good morning. Hope you're well on this Monday. 131873 if you want to call. Uh, Texts, we've got plenty of them. I've got to get through those. So they came through in the last half hour or so and we just didn't have time. In a moment, we'll talk to Craig Gabriel uh, about what happened in the Davis Cup tie. A little bit disappointing for Australia, but what a great effort to get to the final. Craig will have the details on that, and we'll have a look at the newspaper headlines as well. A sports update. Thanks to West End Motor Group, incorporating Parramatta and Blacktown Mazda. Two great Mazda dealerships, same great people, same great service, seven days a week. The legendary Craig Gabriel, of course, he's been covering tennis so long. He remembers when Canada was runner-up in the Davis Cup final in 1913, but it's been a long time between then. They were finalists in 2019, I think, mate. Uh, And now they've finally won it. They have finally won it. I'm not sure about 1913, though, but uh, certainly 2019, I do remember that. Um, So uh, I know people think I've aged a lot, but no. (laughs) They they did outclass the Aussies today, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. I mean, the the Canadians didn't lose a set. Um, Denis Shapovalov over... Uh, Finati Kokonakis 6-2-6-4 and then Felix Auger-Aliassime over Alex Dimonor 6-3-6-4 so it was pretty emphatic very impressive from the Canadians I mean you know what Bill like Let's say seven, ten years ago, you wouldn't necessarily have expected Canada to be holding the Davis Cup. They didn't have enough players to to get through. But uh, look how things have turned over there with these two guys that are spearheading, in particular, Felix Auger-Aliassime. So uh, 
it's pretty exciting times for, for their tennis. Um, but let's also pay great tribute to Australian tennis because in this last month, we reached the final of the Billie Jean King Cup, formerly the Fed Cup, and now the final of the uh, the Davis Cup. And while obviously we wanted to win both of them, we came up a bit short, as Leighton Hewitt said, use those words. But great achievement, great um, uh, courage to, to reach the final in, in both those instances. Well, yes, considering Ash Barty retired and Daria Gavrilova yeah. wasn't fit to play in the women's and in the men's, of course, Nick Kyrgios didn't play. Yeah, he didn't mm. play. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't even sure if he was going to make it to the ATP finals in Turin. Um, so that's why he didn't commit to this Davis Cup tie. Um, and then he, and then on top of that, he had went, he went and signed up for a couple of exhibition series. So uh, he was not available. I mean, I think the team was obviously disappointed with things. Um, Hewitt said he's tried, he tried pretty hard to get Nick. And uh, Alex Dimino also said he's tr- he tried very hard. Hopefully things change for next year. Um, what is uh, a positive um, and a benefit really for the Australians is that they don't have to play the first round, which will be the weekend after the Australian Open. They've got an exemption, let's say, through to the group finals, which will be in September. So they've got all that time now. Mm, oh, that's good. And just quickly, mate, uh, between now and the Australian Open, what happens? Oh, it's, uh, this is the end of the official tennis season. Some are playing exhibitions, as I said. Um, you know, some are going off on vacation. And uh, it'll all be kicking off uh, with the United Cup in Sydney, Brisbane and Perth um, from the 29th of December. It's not that far away, is it? They don't get a long break, but nevertheless, I'm sure they'll enjoy it. Thanks a lot, mate, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Bill. Craig Gabriel at the final of the Davis Cup, where Australia lost the final 2-0 to Denmark. Uh, to Canada. I don't know why I said Denmark. I'm getting confused. The football's coming up in front of me and all those things. Now, Emmanuel's on the line. We were talking earlier about the fox that snuck into a house in the UK and had a party and then was just sleeping on the bench when <laughs> the woman who owned the place came down the next morning. G'day, Emmanuel. How are you? Well, thanks, mate. So, in your opinion, apart from humans, which is the smartest animal on earth? I'd have to go with orangutans and chimps, possibly tied. And uh, whales have got big brains, but they don't have the limbs to communicate like the others do. So the African grey parrot has got 1,500-word vocabulary that can put them in sentences, and it can sing opera. What do you think? Well, it's quite the linguist. (laughs) Can you sing but, opera? But is it, yo? What do you think, mate? I, oh, <laughs> I could I try. I, I mean, my voice is pretty clear. I'm a teacher, but I don't think I can sing opera. An African grey can. Yeah, but hang on, hang on, hang on. Can the parrot yeah. write the lyrics? It's it, oh, it, it, it's yeah. it's just go. a good mimic, isn't and it? Come on. Now, now l- let me just explain. I won't hold you up too long. So I went to church yesterday, and we've got the genius there, an anesthesist at the local ch- uh, local uh, hospital, and I was telling him I brought my parrot book. Now, I know you're going to go, well, I bring a parrot book. I've got a book on parrots. It sounds like you're starting up a joke. No, I know. <laughs> I won't hold you up. That's and right. what happened is... Um, I told him these ideas. He said, okay, let me just tell you a little bit more. So he said, the reason that these birds can sing opera is they've got a completely different larynx to us. We've got two two muscles that control our, uh, our, our, our voice. They've got a tube, and this tube, they can manipulate it so much, they can make huge screeching sounds, but a huge variety of noises and sounds. Anyway, so that's that bird, right? And then he was telling me, you need to watch. So people, please watch this BBC series. There's 30 animals that have contributed to our lives in terms of making our lives interesting or more safer, etc. So can I just tell you one thing that he also told me? Mm-hmm. That this guy is so interesting. So you need to know, do you know the bullet train in Japan? Yes. I've never been on it, but so I've heard that, plenty about it. Yeah, well, yeah, that bullet train can do about 430 kilometers per hour. When it goes through a mountain tunnel, when it comes 
out, it causes a shot, a sonic boom. It does. Right. And that sonic boom obviously would have annoyed the hell out of all the neighbours. So you may say, how did they eliminate it? They eliminated it by watching birds. So I think it's the kingfisher. He told me, this is on the BBC program, mm -hmm. when the kingfisher dives to catch fish, it makes a perfect entry into the water, no splash. So if you can understand that the beak penetrates the water and splits the water perfectly, and that creates no wave pattern, supposedly no splash. So what did the Japanese engineers do? They made the exact shape on their bullet train, and that eliminated the uh, yep. the sonic boom. Pieces what do you think of that? A pretty amazing technology, and uh, I think there's a lot of stuff when you think about it because aeroplane wings are based on bird Correct. wings, aren't they? Designed to get lift, Correct. all that stuff. You Correct. can go on forever. It's, it sounds like a great no, doco no. series, mate. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, it's called Third, Thirty Animals That Contribute to Human, wow. you know, like science yeah. and everything. And I mean, if you're into science, you know, I know everybody's not wanting to know about science. Oh, this is but pretty cool would... science. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, especially you know, like ventilation. Mm. They, you know, termites. You know, the termites in Australia. You've seen it, David Attenborough. They build their nests. Termites up in in the Northern Territory in Queensland. They build their nests at a certain angle. That angle is specific to the uh, um, inclination of the sun's rays. That's right. I and think I have seen that. Well. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have seen that? something on that. And that's an amazing structure. If you think about that, mm. and that's a, you know. Anyway, just to conclude, apparently, talking to this anesthesiologist, we're not some, we're not that different to ants, are we? If you think about it, humans well, are just humans, and we're just especially when we go on social media. <laughs> yeah, Thanks. very nasty. No, I'm not on social media. I don't <laughs> want to look all that nastiness. Just only positiveness. Thanks, Emmanuel. Good on you, mate. We'll talk again soon. Bye. Good on you, mate. There he is, Emmanuel. We've got to take a break. Uh, we've got to get through a couple of newspapers and also some text messages as well. People have been waiting a fair while for those to be heard. Now, you've heard some great offers from Aussie hoses before. This is one of their best ever. No more wrestling with the messy, tangled garden hoses. They will deliver and install the auto hose onto any brick wall for only $169. doesn't have to be a brick wall. You can get it done in the garden or anywhere else. Customers will also get the bonus trigger nozzle. This is all in a modern charcoal colour and the two-year warranty. For added value, the first 20 callers will also receive a five-piece professional car wash kit. That features a two-litre wash and wax concentrate that just clicks straight on the hose. It's their best value offer ever, they reckon, so call now, 1-300-384-165 or visit aussiehoses.com.au to get the auto hose, the trigger nozzle, five-piece car wash kit delivered and installed. 1-300-384-165. Uh, lots of text messages here and a whole bunch of stuff we've discussed this morning. Thank you for that. Uh, ants are better at predicting rain than humans, says John. Thank you, John. Uh, can you imagine, says Mark, if an Australian resources company sponsored a sporting competition and then the players threw a tantrum about woke politics and refused to wear the logo? Shocking. Uh, this is in relation to the chat we had earlier in uh, the last hour or so about uh, the fallout from FIFA and all the troubles they've had with the protests, etc., what it might do to affect sponsorship of sport. Andy says, just got back from the US where I joined a Wild West tour. In Dodge City, we learned that the cowboys who couldn't pay for their whiskey could instead pay with a bullet from their gun belt, both being of equal value, where we got the term a shot of whiskey. Thank you, Andy. I actually believe that to be a true story. Just on the grass used in these stadiums in Qatar, says Bruce. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's an artificial grass. I thought the grass looked too good to be true. Actually, it's not, Bruce. It is real grass. Now, when you think about it, there's no way Qatar would have artificial grass because they just want everything to be perfect. It's a perennial ryegrass, um, and it's uh, the, chosen for the cup uh, premium athletic brand from Pure Seed. There you go. Uh, when Albo's finished with Mr. Morrison, can he concentrate on getting my electricity bill down as promised, says Davo. Uh, small business won't be employing more than 20 people. Why would they, says Bruce? This is regarding the IR laws and that... Uh, a uh, little benchmark they set with the number of employees. Mark says, uh, the left love big business and hate small independent business. Big business is the union's bread and butter. Remember Bill Shorten giving away his union members' penalty rates in exchange for a personal staff member? Uh, yes, Mark, yes. 
I just thought, you know, the whole, you know, concept of socialism and how corporates were ruining the world and all that sort of stuff, it just didn't seem to go down with the philosophy. But as you put it like that, um, now, oh, thank you, John from McLean. Um, I won't read that out, but it's very complimentary and uh, I really appreciate it, mate. Uh, Michael McLaren will be back on the station in uh, two weeks. He will not be doing this program. It'll be Clinton Maynard. Michael will be doing weekends and I'll do a couple of weeks of nights filling in for John Stanley. And, you know, there's the usual uh, musical chairs around this time of year. Uh, But Michael will be back in a couple of weeks. I I like to always mention that when people sort of make any comments about things because it just reminds us uh, what's going on. Uh, some people couldn't believe that he'd been away for so long. Someone thought he was ill, but uh, we've, we've been saying it a lot, and Michael did say it a long time before he left that he was on paternity leave. But, you know, there's always people who miss out, fall through the cracks. Uh, I think it's time to talk about money. And now on Wake Up Australia, a finance update. Here he is, the one and only Ryan Felsman. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Bill. And what's happening in the markets this week? Give us some good news along with the Socceroos win on the weekend. <laughs> that was a great win. The SPY futures are currently putting down by just 9 points or 0.1%. We did see a mixed session on Friday on Wall Street amid low trading volumes and a holiday shortened session. A 2% lift in Boeing shares supported the Dow Jones Index, which rose by 153 points or 0.5%. The shares of Apple fell by 2% on news of reduced iPhone shipments from a Foxconn plant in China in November as production was hit by a virus-related, work, by a virus-related worker unrest. The Nasdaq and S&P 500 indexes were also weighed down by shares of Activision Blizzard, which dropped by 4.1% on news that the US Federal Trade Commission could block Microsoft's takeover on the gaming company. The S&P 500 was broadly flat. The Nasdaq fell by 59 points and 0.5%. The Aussie dollar is currently at 67.11 US cents. Terrific, Ryan. Thank you. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 24 past 5, 4 in Queensland. We'll get through as many headlines as we can before they drag us out of here, kicking and screaming on the front page of the Courier-Mail. Coal mines until 2099. It says doomed industry to battle on. They say it's an exclusive. It reckons 12 Queensland coal mines will still be operating after 2050, when, of course, Australia aims to have reached net zero. This is uh, apparently due to government correspondence that they've got hold of. Uh, Right to information documents secured by the Australian Conservation Foundation shows 61 coal mines in Queensland will stop operating before the deadline, but 12 will continue to operate. The Herald Sun, of course, is all about the election on the weekend. Down to business, it says. Uh, Subheadings, Premier to recall Parliament before Christmas to start work. And multiple libs set to fight for leadership as Matt Guy quits. It also celebrates Melbourne's win in the AFLW Grand Final on the weekend over the Lions. Moving further along to the Daily Telegraph, they've got a special uh, feature and they've done an investigation into gang warfare among young people in Sydney. The headline says, War, Young Blood, uh, Primary School Kids Becoming Child Soldiers in Deadly Postcode Feuds. Um, This is all about, and there's multiple reporters involved in this. They say the state is in the grip of an escalating crisis of youth violence, which has already claimed the lives of 11 young men and teenagers. As I said, a special investigation by the Daily Telegraph, and they are saying that primary school kids are being recruited into these so-called postcode gangs. These gangs have been around for quite a while, uh, but we've heard bits and pieces about them, but obviously the Telegraph has done an investigation into them. And it's interesting because we have had a couple of phone calls. We talked a little bit about this in the last couple of weeks, and we've had a couple of phone calls from people saying they just anecdotally feel like youth violence has been massively going up. Um, I wasn't aware of it personally, but it certainly sounds like it if you read some of the newspaper stories. Well, that's in the telly today. The Australian says PM gives ground to pass the IR laws, and of course that's about the obvious story we've been reporting all morning. The other interesting story they've run, though, is that the Cabinet this week will discuss a proposal to intervene in the energy market and bring down power prices. So we've had questions about this already this morning, and uh, they're canvassing a set of measures to be broader than uh, a hit on gas producers. Uh, This goes beyond the so-called super tax. We'll have a look and see what that is as the week unfolds, and we'll talk to Michael Packey. Hope you've had a wonderful morning. We'll be back tomorrow to do it all again. And uh, in the meantime, have a great Monday, and thank you so much for being there.